we are doing a podcast today actually about board games. Yeah, we're going to break from our format. We've been doing uh, reviewing SNES Classic games one by one, and we lied last episode when we said we would do one this week because we hate you. Welcome to Game Life Balance US, a lifestyle podcast about how to be a grown-up gamer and still go to work and get sleep. With your hosts, Cody Goff, and Jonathan Martin. You're going to be my meat in my Jonathan sandwich. Check out our website at GameLifeBalance.us, where you can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, YouTube, and more. I'm Carrie from the Just One More Fix podcast, a proud member of the Gunna Geek Network. Just like the show you're listening to now, the opinions expressed are those of each individual host. Check out all other podcasts at GunnaGeekNetwork.com and get ready, because geekiness begins in three... If you have followed us at all, we've actually done board game episodes in the past because we kind of all have an interest in them adjacent to our our love of video games. I personally enjoy them more, but the barrier to entry of getting everybody together to play them is so much higher than playing a video game that it's just not conducive to getting together on a regular basis to play them, right? Not like a video game, which I can just call you up and say, hey, let's kill a couple zombies in this game because killing zombies is fun sometimes, Mm -hmm. right? That's a lot easier to do than getting four to eight people to sit around a table and play board games together. Right, and naked, which is our preferred way of playing. It was very warm. The weekend was very warm. So every year on Memorial Day weekend, we've talked about it before, actually, we, we have something called MartinCon. Martin is my last name. Wait, you may have what? noticed that. I know. I know oh, I my know. God. The I've secret been wondering behind, why we... Oh. The secret behind the, name, the naming convention of the convention, that is, that is why we call it that. So we hold MartinCon every year over Memorial Day. I think this is the third or fourth year that we've done it. Um, anybody that wants to can come stay at my place for four days and we play a lot of board games oftentimes some video games but it is an excuse to get together and drink and uh just play a lot of board games and then eat my wife's cooking and it's pretty awesome we eat a lot of food my wife even commented this time that we she's like your friends can eat a lot of food and i said yes yes they can because you all ate us out of house and home so um, I just kind of want to talk about some of the board games that we played because I kind of feel like this is one of the most successful Martin Cons we've had so far. I think it what might do you mean have, by successful? Played, we just we played so many board games, which from its inception was kind of the purpose of it. So, and it was kind of from start to finish. That was all we kind of did, which was, yeah. and we got, I feel like the other reason why it was, was, why it was successful was that we got a really good mix of the types of board games we played. There were some, you know, really long four to six hour games that some of us got to play. And then there were some, a lot of short two-ish hour type games that we got to play. A lot of favorites that have hit the table before plenty of times that a lot of us really like. And then a lot of... I played a lot of new games that I had never played before at this MartinCon, which was pretty sweet. Yeah, me too. So, I played a lot of games. Well, I played... I don't know. I I like some of the tried and true classics. I tried some new games, but um, I don't know how... Well, there's a reason why those classics come out over and over again. It's because we really like them and they're classics, right? 
So the whole trip doesn't actually start with me. It starts with you. It starts with God. you and a trip, a car trip. Well, you, yours was longer than just a car trip. So explain how you got here. I won't get deep into the logistics of getting sure. from Chicago to Madison, but I didn't want to take a six-hour bus, or uh, Chicago to Minneapolis. So I took a bus to Madison. Then our friend Max drove me and Russian John, or WGN Radio listeners will know him as Icebag John. We all drove up to Minneapolis from there. Now, Max usually drives up with our other friend Will, and Max and Will apparently last year played the Steam this video is- game this is not just last year. This is every trip to Gen Con and every trip to Martin Con. Are you serious? Every single trip. I've been in one of... He drove me one year, so this hasn't been going on for a whole decade, but it's at least been a, a while. few years. Yeah. Okay. Well, this was my first time experiencing this. He has a computer game version on his MacBook Air of Talisman, the board game. Now, if you've never played Talisman, congratulations. You shouldn't. I would, the only way to describe Talisman is Monopoly, but a fantasy board game, and worse. Yeah, that's a pretty good way to describe it, actually. Yeah, and... It is worse. It it, is worse. It's so bad. Because it's even less predictable than Monopoly. And it is even harder to win. Yeah. So, in Talisman, basically, you've got, like, a fantasy character, you've got attack and magic and defense and... You walk around collecting cards. It's a roll of the dice every turn. It's not complete luck because you do have two options. You can go left or right. So there's some choices there. And um, and sometimes it'll be like, oh, draw a card from this deck or draw a card from this deck. So you've got, I mean, there's some actual play involved, but pretty much it's random. It's pretty much random. And you, the goal is to just collect, you know, get really strong, have a very high attack and magic attack and health and all that and go to the center and you kill a dragon or something and get a talisman that's why it's called the talisman and you you win the game yeah but you have to get really strong to do that and you can die and if you die you just start again as a new character it's like monopoly because the game never ends because getting that strong without getting killed by something stupid is nearly impossible here's the really fun part we played with at least three expansions Mm -hmm. now they add extra boards to the board and cards and decks yep and you have like a dragon track that somehow manages itself through the whole game and flips and places tokens on squares which make them more devilish so to give you an idea of how little progress we made again every few turns you should be collecting a token that makes you stronger we Never any of the three of us lasted more than five turns. Without, without dying? Dying. Are and, you serious? Yeah, yeah. Oh my God, that is the most torturous game of Talisman <laughs> I've ever heard. All right. Maybe 10 to 12 in, in certain points, but the, there was no progress at any point in the game. None of us at any point got closer to beating the game, really. And it was atrocious. And the user interface of the it's really computer bad. game is actually worse it makes the game worse there were turns and and so i decided to helm this because max was driving so he shouldn't be playing a computer game matt and john was in the back so i'm i'm controlling this and i have no idea no keep in mind listener max is playing this game while driving and still competing because that's the kind of game this is yeah (laughs) you don't actually have to be paying enough attention to play the game yeah it was dumb 
it was dumb and never play talisman yeah. and just give up on life and so before that, uh, before yeah. we move on to to the next to the next game we're going to talk about the best thing the best thing about this game is there is zero player interaction with each other you literally don't interact with the other players in the board you can game. you can i attacked you John can a, a little the most minute bit ever you can attack each other, and you can steal stuff from each other. It's not it, you. You generally have very little interaction. Now, well, I attacked them each, which well, helped well done. It, it, it was obviously very productive. You guys almost won. So yeah, it's pretty good. So Cody was spent seven hours playing Talisman on the way up to 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 get there. Meanwhile, I was playing the iPad version of a game I've talked about before, and I'm not even going to really talk about it because I've literally talked about it on the podcast before. But it's an iPad version of the Star Wars game made by Fantasy Flight, called Imperial Assault. It's like a big... It's almost like a dungeon-crawling board game, except they came out with an iPad version. It tells the story for you and kind of puts the computer in the role of the bad guys. And so my buddy and I started a new campaign in that and just played a couple of missions of that on the iPad because my buddy buddy Will ended up getting uh, to MartinCon first. He got there Wednesday night. Everybody else arrived Thursday. Mm -hmm. So... Oh yeah, we played a couple of rounds of that. That was great on that first night. Awesome. Yeah, yep. will I'll put a link in the show notes to the Imperial Assault iPad version. And then when we all got there, the first game we all played together, I believe, was it the first one we all played together was the, Avalon? The first one that we all played together was Avalon. Right before that, our buddy Peter flew in from California and Peter, Will, and I all played a game called Near and Far. And oh, I want yeah, to talk about that. I want to talk a little about Near and Far. Did you get a chance to play it? I can't remember. Nope. Okay, so uh, near and near and far was this really interesting board game with a large bound kind of notebook of artwork, and on each of the pages of this was a different map, and the game kind of tells this really long story. It's got these maps that you progress through one after the other. So you like turn the page after you finish playing a round of the game, which takes anywhere from like two to four hours, and then you're on to the next map. And there's also this big binder of that's like a quest book, like a resource book. And quests get randomly generated at the start of each map. And each little node on this map that you can move around has a number. And if a quest randomly gets spawned on this number and you go there, you take out this big resource book and you turn to the page of that quest and you do that quest. So it's got like a randomly generated quest system each time that you play it. And there are quests where if you complete them, it creates a character quest for you that the next time that you that you come upon another quest, instead of doing whatever random quest is assigned to that node on the map, you just do the next quest in the story mission. So this, this really big book of quests that you just continue to kind of work through as you're playing the game. You're... Um, basically you're you're making a group of adventurers you like go recruit a group of adventurers in a tavern and you use them to go out and do these quests you kind it's kind of like a resource control um map control type thing where you you lay down your tents as you explore places you're collecting resources which which you then use to buy these artifacts and the artifacts are really the way the points are scored in the game they also give you bonuses oftentimes permanent bonuses to like your attack and health and things like that. But you get resources, you play artifacts, and then at the end, whoever has the most points wins. You kind of keep track of the quests that you've done, and then you move on to the next map. And you push through this entire book of quests. And it's a really 
unique, interesting thing. So, like, you're looking at your... At, at the start of the game, you get a random hand of artifacts, and it's your job to kind of look at your artifacts and say, what kind of resource-building engine can I can I make out of these? And that's what I'm going to work towards over the course of the game. So... There's kind of like a skill tree that you're developing? Not a skill tree. No, no. They're just... They've got, they've got like, r- random bonuses on them that you need to figure out a way to kind of piece together to make a a strong character basically so that a you can female character so that you, yeah, it could be a female character it could be a male character so that you could expand you know as far into the map as you can and kind of take control over as many spaces as you can okay. the other thing that i loved just loved about it was it's it's aesthetic so the quests and this is gonna this is this may sound kind of weird but like there was very little like conflict and confrontation in the way that quests are written. A lot of them are just like about mischievous magical things that are are kind of like causing trouble, but aren't it's like it's it's uh it's kind of like a really non-violent whimsical storytelling and it was really refreshing. It was a really refreshing setting to have for a game. Because like like there were there were there was like a, an evil an evil witch that was turning people into rabbits by having them drink this tea, right? Like it, it was that it's that kind of stuff. It was almost like fanciful fairy tale type um, writing. So family friendly. It really was, yeah. It really was, and it was it was. It's got these like really muted tones, so it kind of looks. It's supposed to be kind of like post post apocalyptic, from what Peter was telling me. So. Um, the apocalypse has happened and it was many thousands of years ago. And now this is like the overgrown earth beyond that. Wait, why did Peter have to tell you that it was post-apocalyptic? Post-post-apocalyptic. Why That's did a, he have to tell you that? He t- before we played the game. And because but it, then it, you knew that but it, during well, it, the game. Yeah, but it, it makes more, it puts a lot of the things in the game in context a little better. Like the okay. fact that there's, the fact that there's like, you're like, you're in this fantasy land going through these trails that are like unpaved, but you're a robot, right? Like your character is a robot. Why would a robot exist, right? In like this type of, this type of era. So okay, that makes sense. It was really cool. I really dug it a lot. Yeah. So what we haven't done so far is really what we love to do a, a game life balance on this podcast is recommend games video games board games to people based on what audience it's appropriate for so for example i would recommend talisman to someone i hate and want to ruin their life imperial assault ipad version i don't know who you would recommend that for you'd probably recommend it for people that i would recommend it together yeah i would recommend it for somebody like me who lives in minnesota all by themselves with nobody else around and who only gets to see you guys once a year maybe twice a year and so and has this board gaming itch but doesn't have anybody to play these awesome board games with so I have this iPad version where you have to have the board game in front of you to play it, and you can kind of play a board game. It's like it's like having a fake friend. It's yeah. kind of nice. Yeah, which we could all use one of. That's why yeah. you're listening to this podcast, right, listener? Yeah. <laughs> that's cruel. <laughs> that's mean. Yeah, that's very nice. Um, and then so who should play Near and Far? Yeah, Near and Far, I would say, would be anybody who likes storytelling. Um, it's not It's not complicated, and it's not really a brain burner. So it's... It's definitely it. It's you know it's not monopoly in terms of its difficulty. It takes some some type of planning and skill, but generally it's a relatively easy game, uh, and it's just it's really whimsical. I liked it. I liked it a lot. I would love to test that with my wife because she is she not would love it. She would really? love it. Well, so I don't know what her taste in like the actual 
mechanics of board games are, but she would love the setting and she would love the quest book because that quest book is awesome. Okay. Definitely. We'll try next time. Yeah. So, um, that, and then that night everybody got there, everybody arrived like four hours later and it was chaos. So, um, I think we all, well, we got a handle of uh, fireball out and we decided <laughs> after we had had a couple of drinks already and we decided that playing Avalon was going to be a good idea. Yeah, we've definitely talked about Avalon in this podcast before. If you're familiar with Werewolf, it's, it's Werewolf. It's Werewolf. It's a it's a <clears throat> Werewolf like Werewolf. Yeah, Werewolf being a game where you you find out who the bad guy is, but it's a secret. And Avalon works the same way, so it's a very meta game, right? I mean, you don't you're not looking at a board, you're not doing stuff on a on cards. You're just looking at each other, trying to figure out who's the bad guy, who's the good guy. You're lying at each other. You're lying to each other. It's fun. It, great party game. Phenomenal. I played it with my wife's family at Christmas a couple years ago. I've played it at Gen Con a million times. It's our go-to, and it's it it's suitable for about 10. You can up to 10 people? Oh, it's it's up, up to 10. 10, yeah, 10 or 12 or something. So there's a lot of people can play at once, which is yeah. another really cool thing, right? It is. It is. It's awesome. So in this game, there are a couple card variants. If you've played Werewolf, you might play with a... Um, a priest or a what's the other term for a it? seer right a seer right yeah <clears throat> somebody, somebody like a good guy that knows who the bad guys are and then there's going to be like a bad guy that 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 good guy doesn't know that's his special power and right so, so there's some different roles so i bought a used copy of avalon at the gen con auction hall last year and it came with a bunch of promo cards yeah. for avalon like, like all of them it came with like all of the expansions yeah, so it came with a couple of classes that we hadn't played with before. So I decide when we're all drunk and tired that we're going to play with all special cards. Yeah. Half of which were new cards that no one knew what they were. Then in addition to that, I had a really hard time remembering. So I decided to call the start of the game. At the start of the game, everyone closes their eyes and someone has to call out like, all right, Seer, open your eyes, look around. Bad guys, open your eyes, look around. Percival, open your eyes and do whatever Percival does. I don't remember any of what I was supposed to do, but I, I, I kind of figured it out and then started reading the things. Well, when I said Merlin, wake up and look at the bad guys, Merlin is supposed, or the seer, I guess. It's Merlin in this game. It's Merlin. Merlin's supposed to wake up and give the good guys an edge by knowing who the bad guys are. I was Merlin. I said, Merlin, wake up. I was so drunk, I forgot I was Merlin. So and I went back to sleep. You just didn't wake up. Rather than restart the game at this point, I decided you know, to at the going. start of the game, at two the minutes in, game. when it would be the easiest thing in the world to restart the game. Right. I don't start. No, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> then, then someone, someone else, like a bad guy was supposed to see, or no, a good guy was supposed to see who the two bad guys were. And one of the bad guys forgot to put his thumb up. Yes. And our friend Peter, who is a troll, a professional troll, did put his thumb up. So that when that he person, wasn't supposed when he to. wasn't supposed to, so the joke would be, oh, three people have their thumbs up. That's pretty wild. There should only be two. But one of the people that was supposed to put his thumbs up had forgotten to. So there were only two thumbs up. So halfway into <laughs> this oh game, God. we all start revealing our roles. Exactly. No, it was at the end. It was at the end that we all decided that we we made it to the end. The bad guys won. Oh, the bad guys won, yeah. But there was no these... way the good guys could win in the way well, that, no... that game that, that game played out. 
No one revealed their cards, but halfway through the game, people started saying, no, 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 I'm this. And then explaining what they had done to cheat or do something wrong at the start of the game. So, you know, we're in like the penultimate round and I'm like, you know what? I'm Merlin. I forgot to look. And everyone's looking at me. No one believes me because nobody would believe you. That's the stupidest thing any of us have ever heard. It was the dumbest game of Avalon ever played. I won. So I can't I can't say it was the dumbest game. Um, It was fun ish. But it was dumb, and everything about it was wrong, and uh, so it was, Avalon. It was the second best game of Avalon I've ever played. <laughs> I best. recommend Avalon for anybody that ever has a large group and you want to know what to do, if you have a big family, if you have a big anything. like It's just a great game to play. It is. The only thing, the only caveat I would say is that it's, I, Werewolf tends to be able to be a game that is played with a large group of people that don't know each other. Avalon feels like you kind of need to know the people you're playing with to get the most out of it. I think in either game, what ends up happening is if there's like six people that know each other really well, they'll suspect each other much more quickly than they'll expect that stranger that just wandered in. Sure. Because no one's going to look at that person and be like, oh, well, they don't don't know know them either. Like they don't know if they're, if they're acting different than they normally do. So, uh, Avalon really good. Like, like always, um, the next, I think then everybody went to sleep. Oh, I think before we played Avalon, did I play Arkham Horror that day or was that the next day? I don't remember when you played Arkham Horror. That's, I think that was the next day. Okay. So then we played went... the, the card game version, right? No, we played the actual version of Arkham Horror. Oh, you so, did? Oh, we did. No, you know what? We played. I played that with, with Peter and Will as, as well. So um, we had enough time to play two games. We played Arkham Horror as well after we played Near and Far. Arkham Horror... We've probably talked about it before, but Arkham is a fantasy flight property that is based in H.P. Lovecraft's kind of Call of Cthulhu world, right? In his in his cosmic mystic horror type genre. Um, in in this type of horror, horror, it's all about kind of psychological horror things that are so insane that they can't even be perceived by our our normal human perceptions, and they drive you insane. Um, it is my favorite fantasy flight setting of all of them. Um, I love science fiction, but but just the the aesthetic of Arkham, it's kind of got this film noir feel to it, which is just like you. It makes me. It makes you instantly think of like smoky back rooms and um, illegal poker games and uh, and like the episodes of Star Trek where Picard is playing the the private eye like that's the kind of that's the kind of aesthetic that all of these games this universe creates so arkham horror takes place all in the city of arkham there are um there's some sort of ancient old god that is asleep under the city that is getting ready to wake up and it is your job as a group of investigators to keep the this elder god from waking up so all of this bad stuff start ha- starts happening around the city. You have to travel from location to location to seal these gates that pop up because these gates pop up that lead to this other world. And you have to go inside of the other world, come out and seal them. And you have to seal a certain number of gates to win. We were playing with an expansion, the Dunwich Horror expansion. It just adds an extra piece of board. It adds a pl- an extra like city that you can go to. You can go to the city of Dunwich. And if you're not careful, the Dunwich Horror can awaken up there, which quickly makes the big bad guy awaken as well so um that was the board we were playing with it's got all new encounters and stuff all new items and everything and the last time that we tried to play this game we didn't seal a single gate and the game won we just got 
utterly demolished, right? That was wow. my last experience with, with Arkham Horror. So I was kind of expecting it to go very, very poorly. We, we played for about four hours and we ended up winning, which is the first game of Arkham I've won in a long time. So that was super exciting. It's a really cool game. Again, this, this game, very much like Near and Far, is all about storytelling. So every single time you go to a location an encounter happens at the end of your turn. And you draw this little card and you read this encounter for the location. And, you know, there's a deck of maybe 20 to 30 cards per location. So there's still car- there's still plenty of cards that I haven't ever seen or encounters yeah. that, I, that, I haven't, that I haven't played with. So, um, and they all kind of work together to make this really emergent story within the game. It's really fun. Um, and it, yeah. it's, it's just, it ends up being a super cool story at the end. So, um, for instance, I was the gangster, um, that was the gangster character and I eventually became the sheriff of Arkham because that's the kind of town Arkham is. And I was, <laughs> I was the gangster sheriff rolling around in the paddy wagon, killing monsters. It was pretty great. It was pretty all good. Right. Good. It's pretty all right. So I, I would recommend playing Arkham. That's Arkham Horror. That's a great game. There's a lot of other games in that universe. There's Eldritch Horror. There's the Arkham Horror board game. Um, and there's, there's honestly, there's tons of other games that they've made in that universe. Wait, that's what I said. You played the, you didn't play the board game. We played the board game. Arkham okay. Horror was the board game. There's the Arkham Horror card game as well. Not we a gotcha. Board game. And, uh, and when you go to a location, you draw an event card, much like in Talisman. Much which, like by the way, which, yeah. by the way, Max in the chat said, this video is fake news. Cody loved Talisman. I will say that we did stop for lunch, dinner, whatever. Oh, and you loved and lunch. Love lunch. You loved lunch. You didn't love, love Talisman. Loved lunch. Well, his MacBook Air was dying, and I actually kind of wanted to charge it so we could play it the rest of the way to your place. No, but you, only didn't. Because, you didn't. You didn't want that. Only because, and Max will correctly did correctly point out, that time flew by. I mean, it was a three- or four-hour drive. It felt really fast playing Talisman. That is the only thing I can say to playing Talisman. The only yeah. thing that I can say about playing Talisman. And I don't know why. It was and I won. Or, I won the last game of Talisman I played in the car, and it was awful. No, you didn't. Everyone who plays Talisman in the car loses. Right. So. Uh, so that was, that ended up being that first day. And then the next day we woke up, oh, I think. And, wait, and you would, you would recommend Arkham Horror to people who are like board game, serious board game yeah, people, right? So I mean, it's, it's, it's a, not casual. No, it's not casual. It's a very mechanical game. You know, it's like a 20 page rule book type thing. Yeah. Um, and all, it's got a ton of systems that are all working together that you kind of have to keep track of. So it is definitely not for just the casual board gamer at all. And it is a, it is a serious time commitment, too. Um, I mean, if it goes very badly, it can be done in, in an hour or two. That's a very bad game. Our, mm-hmm. Ours was a four-hour win. Um, and I've played that game for as long as, like, eight hours before on some yeah. of the more challenging play, plays of it. So... Um, I will say that it is a cooperative board game, so that's really nice. Um, cooperative games have co- kind of come into fashion a lot more over the past like ten to fifteen years, um, and they put a lot. They take a lot of pressure off um, of that like competitive head-to-head type stuff. So when the when it's all you against the board, it's like a totally different dynamic. Yeah, I talk in depth about Eldritch Horror, which is a very similar game, on last year's Martin Con podcast so i will link to that in the show notes as well you can check that out if you really want us to get even more in depth with the horror games and i won't and we did play one round of eldritch horror i won't even talk about it since there is an episode where we talk way more about it was it fun though i did have fun we got destroyed but it was fun 
Well, there you go. Yeah, and you are correct. The next morning we woke up and we played Chaos in the Old World, which we've also, I think, talked about extensively on this podcast. We have, and we've talked about how much we love it. And I won that game, and I did not enjoy it. Yeah, this was weird. You, the entire time, were just kind of complaining about how bad of a situation you were in, and, it, or something. And it was more that it was more that. So I, it was the first time. Okay, so Chaos in the Old World came out. It was this. It was a board. It was a territory control map, and then they expanded it, and they added another character, but they did not expand the board at all. But they allowed an extra player, so it went from like a four-player game to a five-player game. We had never played the game five-player. This was going to be our first time doing that. It was our first time doing that, and there's already a lot of congestion on that on this game um, and in in these territories when you play this game with a four player game. But mm-hmm. when you make it a five player game, it is nothing. There is nowhere to move basically without <laughs> there being conflict, and that's fine. That's that's like the game plays differently with different numbers of of players, and that's sometimes that does a really cool thing in a in a board game in this game i ended up basically sitting in a single territory and that's i mean that's literally how how i ended up at the end of the game i was sitting in a single territory and was just doing that for the last maybe three turns of the game right and i ended up winning the game and it felt very unsatisfying it was a very unsatisfying way to play that game i didn't feel like i was using any type of strategy it was basically play whatever card that I could to use up the card slots because you can only play a certain number of cards in each territory. It was like, get a card there so that you have the effects of that card and then just kind of wait. Yeah. And that was yeah, kind of, you know, how Max I felt. Max in the chat is pointing out, uh, I liked that I got fourth and just loved it. And Will also pointing out he could have been a contender at one point. He was close to you, I think, in score. I think somebody lost to me by one. That might have been. That was probably him. I, th- yeah. I think it was probably him. Yeah. So it was, I mean, it ended up being a super close game. Um, but it was, and I think that I, you were playing a relatively difficult character to use, I think. And I, I hate that character and I'm never playing with him again. Sure. Well then, well, all right. Well then we're settled. Um, still a fantastic game. I don't, I mean, I, I, I don't, I'm not one to say after one play of a game that like a game is bad or I, I wouldn't play the game again. I think that the, just the dynamic around playing that game with five players and, as much stuff is happening on that board, it's just something I would have to kind of get used to and be ready for. Well, the challenge with our particular setup was there are some cards that affect globally everything yeah, on the board. That's true. And, and, they're, and they're, cards, randomized. they're randomized and, at the start of the game. And they're randomized. And we ended up with one that made movement extremely prohibitive. Yeah, um, the The card essentially said if you put anything in a space... They're going to die. They're going to die at the end of your turn. Right. So... That severely limited movement, unless you just wanted to place a character for one turn and then get killed. So I, I think we did end up with just a really bad setup. I would do it again, just not as that character. Uh, my only complaint with the game was that it wasn't a great... I didn't realize this till after, but I feel like it wasn't a great first game to play in the morning. I think when you're doing a whole board game day or a whole board game weekend, a good way to start is maybe wake up and do maybe a, a two or three hour game at the most, kind of as a warm up, and then ease into maybe a four or five hour game. Because this was a five hour game, I think. Yeah, and it was pretty long. I, I didn't realize that ahead of time. You know, it's not a complaint or a knock against anybody who suggested it, but um, it's something that it's, it was a learning for me. I, I mean, maybe it was just that I lost so badly, too. Because the first game of the day, I had to sit through five hours of just getting destroyed, and that sucked. 
hard, especially yeah. since Ryan was there being a monstrous little troll monster demon hellspawn that was literally just trying to mess with me the whole game. So, I mean, when you wake up first thing in the morning, jump into a five-hour game, know you're going to lose by the end of the second turn, and people are just messing with you at that point. Like, it kind of kills the day, and then after be, that, I was to like, To be well, fair, now I kind of felt like I was going to lose for almost all of that game, and then within the last two or three turns, it just, things right. changed. But then so, you won. Yeah. Then you won, but, and but, so... But you were in a situation where you weren't having fun because you felt like you were completely non-competitive. It was the exact same position I was in for the entire I could see game. that. I, I could felt, see I that. I felt that way. It gave me a little bit of a weird vibe for the day, but otherwise, yeah, nothing to complain about that game. That game, I think we would give the same suggestion as someone who wants to buy Eldritch Horror or Arkham Horror. I think it is for advanced gamers that like very long rules and instructions and lots of strategy and thinking, and it's a pretty good game. And Max in the chat says, my level of play was embarrassing, incredibly embarrassing. He was embarrassed for me. Thank you for that. Yeah. Um so after that, I think we split up. I w- did we play Terraforming Mars once? Yeah, we I split th- up, and then you and I played Terraforming Mars together with both expansions. I knew there was an extra board game, and there was an extra board expansion where you get two additional boards to play with. Yeah, but I didn't realize that there was a Venus expansion, which was new to me. Yeah, and it was really cool. So Terraforming Mars is a game where you're literally terraforming Mars. Um, it's an engine building. Literally, game. you it's, you take you open the box. You open and the you box are teleported and you to Mars. Mars. Yeah, and uh, we we were on Mars for a few hours. It was great. It the was, view was and, good, and I think we did pretty well terraforming it. Um, it uh, yeah, high fived Elon. Yeah, it's an engine building game. So you draft these cards, and they work together. You have to figure out a way to make them work together. You have to use what limited resources you have to play these cards. They give you special abilities to then do other stuff. And eventually, you can play things on the actual board, which is in front of you. And uh, the stuff that you play are things like greeneries and oceans and things to make Mars a habitable planet. Um, and so, the the like you draft these cards, and there's not a lot of interaction with other players as you're playing the cards in front of you. But all there's a ton of interaction when it comes to what you're placing on the board in front of you. And the game just has this... I love it. It has just this great balance of paying attention to what you are doing and then paying attention to what's happening on the board. And I feel like there's tons of different ways to create an engine that works. Everybody plays a slightly different... You know, some of them are, are, are quite different. Uh, corporation that is working to terraform Mars. And they like have an inherent strategy to them. But then you also have to rely on whatever cards you draw and are able to play as well. Yeah. I just really yeah. love it. I really I, love it. I game. love the game, but I feel like it's not a a five-star game. Like, I don't feel like it's a fantastic game. I feel like I've run into various balance issues from time to time playing it. I mean, that's just the nature of the game. I don't know. Like, to me, it feels like Civilization, the video game. Like, I, I really like Civilization. I'll dig in. I'll jump in and play, like, a 40-hour game. But it, there's, there comes a point where it's just kind of, like, going through the motions and you're just, like, doing what you can do. That's not what I'm saying about Terraforming Mars, but I don't know. I, there's – our friend Peter pointed out one time that there, there could be some, like, balance issues with it. And ever since he said that, that stuck with me. And now every time I play and something weird happens or somebody plays a card that really screws somebody or, or, or somebody's, like, not drafting any good cards, I think to myself, like, oh, it must be a weakness of the game. I I don't know. I think the I think the the maybe the one criticism that that is a fairly easy to level against the game is you know 
I would say maybe 75% of the game is is the cards are the cards in front of you and then 25% are what you end up putting on the board because a lot of times those cards in front of you are the engine to put stuff on the board and those cards are after the draft at the start of the game those cards are totally randomized so you really could just have a string of horrendous luck when you're drawing those cards because everybody's drawing the same number of cards each turn mm-hmm. and that can really be prohibitive in terms of of I guess your strategy but that's kind of like that's kind of the the whole gag to an engine building game is you you work with what resources you have in, available to create some sort of economic engine the best that you can. So I mean it's that's a fairly standard practice. I think maybe it's just that deck that, that those decks of cards are huge. Right? <laughs> so like there's a, a there's a lot to sift through. Yeah, I will say my my criticisms by and large are not valid and I could just be really bad at the game. You've won the game plenty of times, haven't you? I've won a couple times. Last year, I went on a bit of a streak, and I won that and Chaos in the Old World, which yeah. was a, insane to me. But um, but yeah, I would recommend Terraforming Mars. I think there's a little less difficulty compared to maybe Chaos in the Old World or an Arkham Horror game. For sure. What do you think? For sure. Yeah, yeah. for sure. It's a little more accessible. So if you're kind of moderately into the strategy stuff and you like to just kind of build up your own little kind of mini civilization on mars I it's, think it's a great game it's also a great aesthetic if you're into like near sci-fi type stuff um and it's got this kind of cute art style there's a lot of really great jokes and things oh, on it's the, very on the, funny on the cards which is really nice to see um and yeah it's uh it is it is not like a casual game by any means um because there are a lot of systems working together again but it is more accessible than like the last game we just talked about yeah yeah, super, super fun. Like, like I said, again, I all, love the game. And also, like every... it's it's kind of a non-confrontational competitive game. There's not a lot yeah. of there's not a lot of like direct player screwage, um, which is which is kind of nice. That can be kind of nice. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean a lot. Six times out of ten, seven times out of ten, if somebody's like, "What game do you want to play?" I'll say Terraforming Mars. Yeah. I, mean, I really enjoy it. So, but uh, with the caveat that I don't know, it's something weird weird is about it, or I'm bad. Um, but yeah, then we all played this other game, a bunch. Which game is the other game? What are we talking oh, it's about? On, it's the next one on the sheet. We also played Mystic Veil. Vale. I want to talk about Mystic Veil. Vale. I want well, we to have to because vale. we played it like eighty times. We all did. Everybody was playing it. Um, I had never played it. I only got to play it one time. I had never played it. Um, and you had played it, right? Yeah, I played it like, at. Our friend Will has some friends at his place in Madison. He calls it Madison Con, not his last name Con. Why don't you call it Minneapolis Con, John? Why do you have to be so so egocentric? Because it takes place all within the confines of my house. So does so does the other one. I definitely his? stayed at Max's condo when I went to Madison Con. Oh, fine. So, oh my gosh. Uh, so Mystic Vale is a it's a it's a deck building game. Think Dominion. So let's talk about Dominion, right? It's exactly like Dominion in terms of the I'm gonna I'm gonna have a board. I'm gonna use what resources come up on this card draw to buy something in the middle, and then that's going to make my deck bigger. And then when I'm done, I'm gonna shuffle my deck, and I'm mm-hmm. gonna do that again. That is like the standard deck building setup for a game. Mystic Veil's cool little thing that it does, and I think it is genius is every card has a clear plastic sleeve and the artwork is done in such a way that 
cards have basically three different slots on them. And you can take a card and put it inside that plastic sleeve. And as long as one of those three slots is open where you're putting that card in, it basically modifies and enhances the card. So yeah. rather three vertical, three horizontal slots and one vertical slot. Yes, and a vertical slot, right? And there's a bunch of symbols on that card that allow you to buy different stuff. And there's there's symbols on that card that give you points. And it is a deck building game that has it figured out a way to like in a normal deck building game. There's usually a way to discard cards that you don't want in there to kind of keep your deck lean and keep the better cards drawn more frequently this card doesn't have any kind of discard instead it has instead it has the ability to add stuff to other cards rather than adding cards to your deck to keep your deck lean that way and with those enhancements it creates these combination of cards that are not limitless but it sure feels that way when you're playing the game in terms of putting cards together yeah your deck size is finite and it's constant through the whole game your deck is maybe 25 35 cards total yeah it's a finite deck building game i mean that's like yeah that's crazy yeah because you're not adding new cards like john said again some of the cards have negative consequences on them some have positive some are neutral and you can augment those cards by slipping in these clear these trans these mostly transparent uh cards i guess like like plastic i mean they're they're not cards but they are in the shape of cards these plastic um screens over them that are mostly transparent except for one of the three slots is taken up. So, yeah, you just end up changing it, and that gives you, like John said, so much. You can make the bad cards better. You can make the good cards even better. You can make the good cards worse if you want them to have a bunch of benefits but maybe a little bit of drawback. Like, uh, Or you can mess with the neutral cards. Or you can leave the neutral cards alone, and then you get bonuses for having neutral cards. I mean, it's, 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 it's quite good. Yeah, good. and it and I only I only got to play it once, so I can't really speak to how um, varied the kind of the win conditions are. But it felt like there were a couple of different strategies that you could kind of employ, um, depending on which hero you were, and and have it be have those strategies be viable. To win yeah, the there game. are two two different sets of currencies. One is mana, which is you straight up use to purchase things. The other is these nature symbols. And those buy different cards that can either give you really strong abilities or insane numbers of points. They put like permanent bonuses out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I've found that the mana strategy isn't as great as the other one. But like, yeah, there's a bunch of different ways to play. And you can always do something with what you're, you're dealt with. It's just a, I played it at least six times over the weekend, I mean, literally, it uh, and I won once. I think maybe maybe twice. No, I think I just won once. Um, but it's just really really fun. It's so addictive. It's fun to slide the things in there. Uh, yeah, it's, it's also it's, a, it's also very quick. Uh, it is yes, it is very quick. It is an easy game to understand. There is no there's no player interaction, um, which I think you maybe could consider a criticism, um, other than you're just vying for the same cards in the middle. But yeah. you're never interacting directly with other players. So if that's kind of your cup of tea. Um, but it, this feels like a good gateway game. It feels like the yeah. type of game you introduce to somebody who, you know, maybe doesn't know anything about designer board games. Mm-hmm. But you're like, look at this. Like, this is a game where you get to you get to slot cards in one another and, like, change these cards in your deck. I, I mean, it is a super neat game. It is super yeah. neat. And... 
the first few times I told people about it, I could never remember the name because it's like the most generic. It's a name. really generic fantasy name. Mystic Veil. Vale. Yeah. But ten out of ten. And of course I go on Reddit and I was reading about some board games and somebody mentioned I searched for Mystic Veil vale on Reddit because I wanted to see what people thought and somebody was just like, Oh, well, yeah, you know, it's just a generic, uh, oh, yeah, you cycle, oh, it's not very well balanced, oh, if you like, no play or not. I don't know. People are always nitpicking, and I, I don't know. I looked at that, and I'm just like, really? Is there any game that everybody likes? No. Probably not. No. And I don't know if it's well balanced. I literally only played it a single time. So yeah, it's, it's I, weird. I don't, I don't know, but I know that I had a really fun time playing it. I mean, I got killed. Like, the person who won more than doubled my score. Um, but it was super fun to play. And there are expansions with heroes that further augment the game and they have really interesting mechanics that are really fun. What I do find is interesting is that the first few times we played, a few of our friends said, oh, I've never gotten more than 25 points or I've never gotten more than 30 points. And then there were two games in a row where first one of our friends, I don't remember which one, and then I, the last game that I played, got like 60-some point, 50 or 60-some, like an insane amount of points, and everybody else was, like, in your game, trailed way behind, and it was like, what's going on? Yeah, so I had, like, 24, it, and I was in second after the winner got 52. Yeah, yeah, so, but a lot of the games that we used to play, that I played originally, the first games I had played were a lot closer, so, yeah, I don't know about the balance or anything, but um, but it's it's always fun to play with, and it, the visual aesthetic is phenomenal, and uh, it's, just, it's just a really good game. I highly recommend Mystic Veil, vale. uh, Either for a entry gate, gateway entry game or for anybody else who loves strategy war games. So that night, done with Mystic Veil vale now, that night we played a game called Rising Sun. Let's talk Rising Sun for a minute. Rising Sun was, in terms of our experience with it, it was an interesting experience for me. <laughs> so... Our buddy Max bought Rising Sun. He um, he did the the Kickstarter for it, and one of the Kickstarter benefits was these. He got every single expansion to it at the same time as well. So he brought all of them. Um, it was about eight boxes, I think. I th- I'm serious. I think it was about it eight. Was bo- I think it was about a eight lot boxes. Of boxes. And he, the first thing I'll remember about him setting up the game was him like taking out these boxes and the pl- like the the figures are all plastic in there, but. Every faction has their like own box with these plastic molding, like these these plastic molded pieces that the figures fit into. I mean, it, the production on this thing is I have never seen a game produced like this ever in terms of in terms of its figures. Maybe with maybe there's some games with like a lot of stuff in the box, but in terms of just the the fidelity of the figures, th- there is there is no other game. That is like this. So mm-hmm. we all picked our factions and he put up the board and the board was this like beautiful play mat. It was just, I, it was like a, this soft, cushy material and it was just, go- it was gorgeous. Um, every, and it, he had like hand painted some of the neutral figures that you can buy throughout the game. And those were beautiful. Um, everything about the look of this game was incredible. was honestly incredible. I was and, pretty blown and is, away. Yeah. And the aesthetic is feudal Japan. So it's, it's got like, the old, Japanese art style, the figurines are all not yeah, samurai and shogun, I don't know but... exactly when it takes place because I don't know anything about Japanese history, <laughs> but it takes it it takes like there's no guns or anything. It's you know, it's samurai and and swords and um and then it's got a lot like this this mystical quality to it. Um there's there's praying to gods and there's um basically monsters that you can conjure to be on your team. 
And these monsters are these neutral things that Max had painted that are just huge. Like they are, some of them are the size of the entire territory that you're putting them into on the board. I mean, it's incredible. <laughs> they are just incredible. Some of them probably weigh over a pound. I think some of these figures probably are over a pound. And these just these plastic figures. So it's just, the game looks incredible. It's a territory control game. And everybody plays a different faction. And they all play a little differently. And I don't know if I liked it. Also, our friend Will in the chat says, point of order, Fox dudes have primitive firework guns. So, I, so it's a territory control game where you're, you're getting points for basically conquering these territories at the end of each war phase. And there's only three war phases over the course of the game. So you have to eat as much territory as you can over those three war phases. And I, maybe it was the combination of classes that we were using, but... Like the the game felt drawn out in a way that it felt like it shouldn't, um, and it just it, I like I don't. I Point don't, of order: at when we played this game, you and I were toasted. So I wait. So wait, we were so obliterated. Not, yeah. So, but that's that's not the point. It kind of is part of the point. That's that's context. That's important context. I was out of my mind. Okay, I so, barely knew where I was. Yeah. So the thing is, like, I've played I've played a lot of like territory control games, right? Like, and I just I don't I don't know if I don't think this was a good one. <laughs> at least not at least not with the maybe the number of players that we were playing, or um, or again just like the combination of stuff. But it like. It felt imbalanced to me in a How? way. How did it feel imbalanced? Yeah. Because there were there was there's so much emphasis in the game placed on there's so many systems in the game that like I can't go through them to the listener right now in terms of why they kind of work together. But the person who the person who won had a had a character class basically. They had a uh they had a uh, one of their factions that could fight everywhere they wanted to. And by fighting and by fighting and killing yourself, you you can get points in this game. Also, also by fighting and not contributing any resources to to the fight, you can get a lot of resources. You get a lot of money from other people. So by fighting everywhere, he was just able to get resources from places he didn't really care about. He was also able to kill himself in places that he had a couple of people that he could just get some points for, um, and it very quickly became apparent that like that was going to be an, a very easily winning strategy in the game. And nobody else had the ability to, to spread the way that he was able to do to kill himself all over the board. Right. Like it was, I mean, it was what they were, it was what he, the faction that he was playing as, it was what they were meant to do for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just, I, yeah, I don't, I, it didn't feel balanced to me. It really didn't. Well, I will temper temper that with it was 7 or 8 p.m. And somebody said, hey, we're going to have dinner in about an hour. Let's play this game. It should take an hour or two. (laughs) It took two hours to set up and explain the rules. And then four to five hours to play, which is fine for a board game weekend. That's why you do board game weekends. Yeah. But you don't do that after being told, oh, this will take an hour or two. So I wasn't committed. I was the biggest. I mean, I the was biggest. The biggest shame about the whole thing um, was that the the there was obviously so much care and production and 
love that was put into the creation of everything in that game. And then it was so reminiscent of me, and we talked about this after Gen Con last year. There was a game that that, uh, that I had played that was called... Um, uh, God, I can't even remember now. But it was a similar thing where it was like... It was very much like Arkham Horror or Eldritch Horror or Chaos in the Old World. Or Chaos in the Old World mostly is what it was like. Only it was set with like in the Call of Cthulhu universe. And all the figures were enormous and beautiful. And I just got done playing that game... And it just didn't feel like a fun game. Mm-hmm. And that's the biggest shame is that just like the, I can't, I can't even, I'm not even doing it justice to describe to you the, the description I gave of all of the stuff in this box does not even do it justice. I mean, it is gorgeous. It's more elaborate than any board game you have ever unboxed. It, yeah. Seriously. I guarantee you, listener. It's, it was amazing. It was seriously yeah. amazing. I will still caveat it with the fact that uh, I was not committed. Half the people you were playing with were just out of their minds. Well, and we were also none of us ever played it before, so it was a none learning game. It, it was a learning game for everybody. It was you the know, wrong only time tried to it, play that game. We've only tried it once. It was the wrong kind of the time to play it. If it had been like, "Hey, let's play the six-hour game all day," like, great, I'm you know I'm in, I'm ready for that mentally. But my mental preparation was like several shots of fireball and God knows whatever else I put in my body that night. And I was not going to contribute anything. My partner and I, Ryan, was on a team. <laughs> you were the only asleep. one with a partner. And he fell asleep. <laughs> yeah, he fell asleep an hour into the game at the table, yeah. sitting up. And I don't and think he wondered, was committed. It was. I don't um, think he was it committed. It was not an ideal circumstance to, I think, very accurately assess the playability or quality of a game. So take what I still think. I know you're an expert in board games. You've got a ton of experience. I think maybe take John's feedback with a grain of salt. I would love to revisit Rising Sun after we've had a chance to play it again, which I would actually like to play I, it again. I would like to play I'm, it again as well. Yeah, when I'm like conscious. Um, so I think, yeah, first impression's not great in terms of some of the gameplay elements, let's say, I think is a fair way to temper your arguments. Again, yeah. not taking away from your legitimacy, but just in I would the state like, that I would you like were to not play sober it. either. I would like to play it without the character class that ended up winning that game. Um, it just also that and lots of games have that where there's that one character that kind of breaks everything. That's a ton of games. Sure. That still doesn't, doesn't diminish what I'm saying is I would like to try that game again without that character class in the oh, game. Oh yeah, no, sure. Sure. Well, that's fair. Yeah. I just want to make sure that we're giving context, but and that game, I would say you want to talk about the right target audience for that. People who like, this is a very advanced game. This is like Arkham Horror Advanced, Chaos in the Old World Advanced, and with a lot of hardware. So you better have you better have a bookshelf because it was it literally also needs, five It boxes. also needs a huge amount of space to play. Yeah, it, 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 the table. I mean, it whole, was that yeah. that giant table that we were playing at was almost not even big enough for what we yeah. needed. I mean, that. But it's a beautiful game. Oh my god, that board and yeah. everything. I mean, yeah, it is beautiful. Yeah. Uh, so then we went to bed and we woke up and. I think the next day we played a couple of rounds like Mystic Veil, but then we played the new Civ game. Sid Meier's Civilization. A new, a new dawn. A nude, a nude dawn. Dawn has come for the era of kings. Will you skyrocket to the heavens, or will you worship a god that will take down the rest of society? Only you can determine the civilization you will build. What is this? I'm being Sean Beam. Are you? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> no. So, no, that was bad. You. This is your game, right? 
I own it, but but Will brought it. This is my third time playing this game, okay. which is probably why I won, because I played against you and someone else who only played it once, I think, once or twice. Before we even start talking about it, I will say that I literally made the same mistake that I make when I play Civ on the computer, and that is neglecting (laughs) military. It is literally the exact same mistake that I generally make when I am playing. And the mechanic, and I I think I warned you about this. I think I, I warned somebody we were playing with do not underestimate military. First time I played this game. I didn't do anything in military, and I was playing with my wife and Icebag John, and I and we're all building civilizations. It's all going great, just like the video game where you're in, like, turn 200, and you're like, oh, look at this beautiful civ I've built. But you didn't really think about military. Then some idiot declares war on you, and suddenly in three turns you've lost half your resources. That's what happens to me in the computer game. That's what happened to me the first time I played the game. That's what I did to you. Oh, it was Max that we played with. That's what I did to you and – was it Max? Who did we play with? Why can't I can't remember Will. I don't remember a lot from that weekend, let's be clear. It doesn't matter. This is the new fantasy flight board game of Civilization. It plays exactly, exactly like the video game in every way. It was just Max. Thank you, That is Max. literally what I said. God, I feel like an idiot. But, I, like, literally, I, dude, I fell asleep halfway in Rising Sun. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Um, the it, Yeah, it plays just like the video game. I, I think it's really fun. It's, it goes pretty quickly. If you neglect military, you will absolutely lose. And that is the one only – I said this at the start of the game when I was explaining the rules because there's five different things, right? You've got like economy, trade. Maybe that's the same thing. Like military, science, culture, um, like in civilization. Yeah. Military, science, culture, I think religion or something. And then um, trade. And then the last one, yeah. the, the, the war, trade. right? Military. Right. So I said at the start of the game, I'm like explaining each thing. And I was like, OK, trade does this. It's pretty simple. All right, uh, production does this. It's pretty simple. Science does this. It's really simple. Military, you have to pay attention to this. It's, it's a little more complicated. You have to understand this concept. And Max is like, no, nah, it's not that complicated. And I was like, no, no, well, it's not that complicated, but you have to understand military. Yeah, it's not that complicated. Because if you don't, under- if you don't understand that you need to reinforce your control tokens and you have to have like little troops all over the place, you will get destroyed. And you had like three cities. They were awesome. They had wonders. You had all this production. And then I got flight, which is a military advancement. And I just took over all I of just, your cities. I think I think having not played the game before, I think I didn't um, realize what the defense values of stuff was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was a big part of it because the only other context I had for a Civ board game was the edition that came before this one. And in that game, cities had an inherent, very large value, no matter where they were built. They're, like their defense value was inherently just large. So mm-hmm. um, you couldn't start taking them until midway into the game. Whereas in this game, your city's defense value is based on where they're built. So if they're built on like a plains, you could start sacking cities at the start of the game. Yeah. If you wanted to. And like, I didn't quite realize that until it was too late. And like, oh, I like my cities actually aren't reinforced all that. Well, they're all built on planes. They all have no defense. So it was very easy for you just to come and bum rush them. And the game swings. It swings really hard. And that was something that I also did not realize until it happened. Like until we were in that moment that that was happening. And that was also something that was not in a previous edition of the game. So like I just, I had, I came to it with, too much preconceived notion about what I was getting myself into is what happened. Did, did you have fun? Did you enjoy it? I did. And I, I, it was probably actually the game that I thought about the most after we were done playing it and thought about like the ways I would play it differently. 
Because that game should have been about two hours longer. Seriously, it should have been a much longer game. Because the only reason you were able to win was because I made it so easy for you to come in and take over my cities. If I had just spent like a couple extra turns reinforcing rather than spreading out as I was doing, um, you wouldn't have been able to just come in and sack those cities and get the things that you needed to win the game. So I like looking back on it and seeing how big of a flaw that was within the way I was playing the game. I, I think there could have been a much closer game for everybody. I do have yet to play it with, you know, with everyone at the table being an experienced player. And I think that would be really interesting because I, I just haven't done that yet. So yeah, I want to try that. But I would say this is a game for, I would say it's a little easier of a game. I think mechanically it is, you, you can go deeper as you can with any board game with the strategy, but I mean, I've played it with my wife. I've played it with people who are more casual gamers, don't do a lot of strategy board gaming. And, and the mechanics of how you play is very, very simple. Like, you know what to do on a turn. Here's how you take your turn. You literally pick a card, do what it says, and you have five cards in front of you permanently. It's those cards. Pick one of those five cards, do what's on it, and then your turn is over. Yeah, Not I'll, really hard. I'll be honest. I walked away from the experience, like, kind of down on it because it felt like everything was – it felt like for all of us, we were all kind of building – and then within a turn, everything forever, like it literally went from, it looks like anybody could win to there is no way that anybody but you could win, right? Like it, sw- it felt like it swung so hard, but the only reason why it swung that hard was because I did not do a good job of reinforcing myself to make it yeah, so that you could just march in there. 100% so, military. That's what happened the first game I played. John beat us in two turns, and it was the same exact scenario. It was three civilizations are doing great. Oh, one of them has flight. One has advanced military. Bye-bye other two. And it, it's two turns, like the snap of a finger. Absolutely, two turns. Yeah, and that would, like that part was unsatisfying, but it was mostly just because I did not play, I did not yeah. play it well. Yeah. So, so, yeah, I definitely want to try that one again. Yeah, but I would recommend the New Civilization and New Dawn game. So I know we're going a little long, uh, but we only have one or two board games left. Uh, have we, We've talked about Ethnos on this podcast, I maybe? If, I don't know if we really have. Um, did you play that with us? I didn't play it with you, but I have played it oh. once before. Okay, so Will bought this at Gen Con this year, and it's really it's fast, it's easy, it's fun. You, it, it's, got, it's got very bad board art. Like, you look at the board it's, for the it's, board it's game. It's just cheap looking, right? It's, it's just so, really cheap it's looking. It's so generic. It looks like somebody drew it like a crayon or whatever, which we've all admitted. I mean, Will is like, yeah, it doesn't look great. But it's a fun game. It's very, very easy to play. There's a decent amount of player interaction with what cards you're taking from each other. There's some luck involved. Um, you, It's it's uh, up to four players trying to take – or maybe it's up to five players, four or five players. And you're just taking control of uh, five or six different territories – by playing these different monster cards, basically, and putting control tokens on each territory. And the monster cards kind of play like Uno. You know how Uno, you have to have the... When you play cards in Uno, you yeah, play skip, either the same... Yeah, skip, draw four, reversal. Okay, so not that. But you either play the same color or the same number. And it's the same way with this game. You play either the same color monster, because there's like gray, red, green, etc. Or you play the same monster, regardless of the color. And you draft cards one at a time. You take turns basically drawing cards. And then as soon as you play any combination of cards, you discard all the other cards in your hand, put them face up. So now the next guy, he doesn't have to draw from the deck. He can pick one of those face up cards. So you're kind of providing each other with the resources. So you have to be aware and careful not to discard a bunch of cards that the other players can use, um, but then also play good hands at the same time. 
and it goes pretty quickly. It's pretty easy to learn. I would say it's another good entry-level game that can get a lot deeper. And we did play with an expansion that had either a, like a goblin or a troll or something where you get a separate board and you can kind of you can kind of save up tokens to use later in the game to get points. Um, but it, it's, it's quick. It's simple. It takes an hour or two to play at the most. And again, pretty simple mechanics. I would highly recommend Ethnos. If you've ever played Colossal Arena, which I know isn't like a, a fundamental game in the board game world, but Colossal Arena, it, it kind of plays like that, but with tokens, I think in a way, because you're playing with monsters and and kind of in a way betting, it, they're very radically different, but I would say the same level of complexity maybe. So if you've played... If you've played Colossal Arena, you would really enjoy it. I think game. it's a uh, little like Small World as well. Um, I've not played Small World. Well, yeah. I don't remember playing Small I'm, World. I'm pretty, so. I'm pretty sure it feels a little like Small World. So if yeah. that, that's, a, a, I think, a much more popular game that a lot of people probably have played. So if you want to give it some context, it's a little like that. There you go. All right. And do you remember that time we spent 10 minutes trying to remember who we played Civilization? <laughs> that's, that just happened. That just happened on... That's when the was worst. That? The worst thing. So, um, so yes, you didn't play that. And then Eldritch Horror, we, we kind of glossed over. But you can check the show notes for other podcasts. We've talked about code names before. Great party game, fun party game, fast party game. You like it, right? Yeah, code names is great. Code names is fun. I have code names duet to play with my wife. We have fun. Uh, Jackbox Party Pack we played on the Nintendo Switch. We've talked about that before too. I think after New Year's. Basically, or it's a it's a trivia game that you can connect with on your phone. It's a geni- It's a genius, right? It's it's a genius way to use new technology to make a large group of people able to play a game together because yeah. you have it on like one system. You can get it for PC. You can get it for Switch. You can get it for it's on it's on every console. It's on PS4. It's on Xbox. It is literally on everything. And only one person needs to own it. And then you basically set up a room that is on a website and everybody just connects to the website with their phone and just types in a code. And then you're all connected to the same game. And it's yeah. like, I mean, just make sure your video game console is connected to the internet. And it'll literally say, go to jackbox.tv, enter this four digit code, and then you're in yep. on your phone, which is And insane. everybody's in the same game. And it's, and sometimes you're drawing stuff on your phone, which can obviously be fantastic in a group of drunk people. Sometimes you are just answering trivia questions. Sometimes you're like making your own questions for people to answer. It's really neat. Yeah, it's good. And then we all saw Deadpool 2, which two thumbs up, I guess. It was so good. It's very funny. It was very funny. Very funny movie. And you went running outside in 7,000 degree weather. It was 95. It was horrendous. It took me an hour to get cool again. God, the entire weekend, it was like 100 degrees in Minnesota, which is weird. It was super weird. It It was. Has it been that warm since? Nope. Not a single day. It was. Yeah, Chicago's been in like a cold wave. Super unusual for Minnesota at that time. And now you're back in the cold. Eh, It's not cold. It's like 75. Okay, we've had days in the 60s, like the last two weeks that's in Chicago. Pre- that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. It's weird. Yeah. So, so uh, that was weird. But yeah, I went out I went out and ran almost, I think, every day with a different group of people each day, it kind of felt like. Yeah. Oh, so as you were winding down, you finished your last game of Eldritch Horror. A lot of people went to bed, hung out with a couple people. I think we played some Mystic Veil, drank a little, did whatever. And then, all right, Ryan and I are going to go downstairs, sleep in your living room downstairs. Yeah. Your PC's down there. And I'm like, all right, this is it. This is it. This is my time. This is my time. It is Sunday night going to Memorial Day. I'm just, all I have to do tomorrow is wake up, drive back with Max and pass out. And I'm 
I'm going to have a lot of quality time with my wife this week because I haven't seen her in a few days. So I should play some Final Fantasy XIV while I've got a chance. Why not? Yeah, everybody's asleep. Now, Why would you know? Now is my chance. It's asleep. Everybody's asleep. It's 1 a.m. I got eight hours ahead of me. Let's do this. I go to log on to Final Fantasy XIV, which I had downloaded all the patches on your computer. It was all up to date. And they were doing server maintenance. I'm gonna and I wanted flip, to die. I'm going to flip this damn table over. You know why I'm going to flip this damn table over? Because who does server maintenance on a holiday weekend where people are off work? Who does that? I lost my mind. I was so mad. I was so mad. Like, it was the worst moment of my life. Listen... I've had those moments with World of Warcraft. I had those when I was playing that game. I can feel your seething anger right now because I have totally been there before. But one thing that they were always good about with World of Warcraft was at least timing the maintenance so that it made sense. It was always a Tuesday morning unless there was some sort of emergency thing happening. It was emergency. Sound I effects, don't believe it. Sound effects were off sync with spells. And so the experienced raiders couldn't clear the harder trials. Are you an experienced raider? No. Then who cares? I, I, dude, That's, it was the worst. Yeah. yeah. It was the worst. And then you know what? The karma came back to bite Square Enix in the butt because they had the worst E3 press conference of all time. Yeah, it was really bad. Maybe not of all time, but it was pretty it awful. It was pretty bad. So, so that, you did, that yeah, was, that's a bummer. You didn't get to play the final. You got to play Final Fantasy fourteen for just a very brief amount of time, I feel like. Over the weekend. I even like downloaded it and patched it <laughs> right when you got there, too. That was very, very nice of you. And I, well, you know how it is. I mean, for you've sure. gone to Gen Con before and, and gone to the eGames arena just to play single player games 100%. just because you don't always get to do it when you're, you know, yeah. married. No, I played, I played League of Legends for a couple of hours, I think, one year at Gen Con. And it was awesome because I hadn't been able to do that since my son was born. So, yeah, right. that was. And that. It was awesome. And that's not why I go to Martin Con. I don't need that. But if I've got eight hours and everybody's asleep, then that's the time to do it. Yep. But whatever. That's not here to that. Um, one other quick thing. On the drive home, there was no talisman, thank God. But I was sitting in the back with Will, who drove back with us, and he had Civilization Six on his iPad. And he set up a local game with him and me versus two AI opponents, and we passed the iPad back and forth and played a local game of Civ Six, and it was awesome. Yeah, I loved it. you know, I knew that they released it, and they released it at a sixty dollar price. It's a sixty dollar full price game app. It should be. I know, and I, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but how many games on the iPad or on a, on some sort of touch device have you seen that come out at sixty bucks? None, right? I don't think there's been a, there's been one. So um, no. I think that's pretty interesting that they did like, yeah, yeah we're going to do this full price. Hey, what's uh, before we go, um, I had requested that you bring back a bag that I left at your wedding, which was in, in October, right, mm-hmm. of last year. Um, so it's been a long time coming since I got that Eight bag. Months. Back. Yeah, but you, but you brought it back and it, you know, you brought it in and you just kind of left it in the kitchen and we didn't actually move it until um, you guys all left. And I picked it up. I was like, this bag is really heavy. I'm going to go unload it because all the clothes in there were dirty. So I got upstairs and there was, a, there was just a big ball in the bag. It was a big ball and it said Vinyl Boy on it. And I, Vinyl Boy. I don't know what it is. I have no idea what it is. Do you have it with you I, to show? I, it's not like down here. But you don't have it to show to I the listeners show it next and our week. YouTube audience? I will show it. I, I would well, have to go get I, it. 
then I can't tell the story till next week. Okay. The next week we'll talk about Vinyl Boy, but this bo- it's probably about 20 pounds, you think? Hey, if you've got a scale, please measure it. I'm curious. I think it's about 20 pounds. Is it filled with something? We'll have to wait for the story. We'll have to wait, <laughs> we'll have to wait for the story. <laughs> and we'll also have to wait for Kirby Superstar because we did not have time to play that during MartinCon because we had so much fun playing board games. Yeah, we're going to end up doing that single player, which is too bad because it really is like one of the best two-player games that's on that. Or I, I might come up to, who knows, I may come see you this summer. You, you totally could. I mean, Casey wants to come visit yeah. so we could, you know, before you have your next baby. Could definitely be a weekend thing. For sure. so, well, yeah, if, but, if, it's, uh, if you want it to be before the next baby, it's going to have to be in the next like four weeks because that's, well, it's pretty, it's coming up pretty quick here. Dang. We put away, we put All together right. the nursery this past weekend. So pretty it's good. like, it's for real. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's awesome. It's awesome. Well, um, yeah, that's cool. So uh, next week we will be doing Super Punch-Out? Yeah, and I think – are we going to try to do it in a week? We probably could, right? We'll try to – Ish or sometimes Either soon. a week or two weeks, but I think we could probably do a week. Yeah, we'll see. I, I don't know. We'll, we'll figure out the it. scheduling. But if you check our feed, follow, if you follow our audio podcast – so if you're watching this on YouTube, you're out of luck. But I interviewed the author of The Minds Behind the Games – which is a a brand new book. It's in the top 20 books on Amazon right now in the gaming category. The author is Patrick. Yeah, author is Patrick Hickey Jr. And he found we found each other on Twitter and I got to interview him for this podcast. So check the Game Life Balance US podcast feed. Check out our website, gamelifebalance.us. And I've got this interview with this guy, Patrick. He is super cool. It was really exciting. He's talked to the developers, the guys that, I mean, the minds behind the games. He talks to the guys that did E.T., the guys that developed NBA Jam, uh, the guys that developed Super WWF WrestleMania, the arcade game, like all these all these classics that you've, you've heard of and played, some newer games. He talks to the guys who did Night Trap. Um, it's very cool. It's a cool book, um, and you can find information on that interview in the show notes, everything. Um, so depending on when you listen to this, I don't know if this will come out. If it's It'll probably be already be out by the time you hear this, probably. So... But just follow Game Life Balance US to to find that. It was like a kind of a thing out of nowhere we did during the day when John was working. So uh, it's just me and that one. Very different than our usual format, but uh, it should be a lot of fun. Yeah, hashtag content. Hashtag content is so good. Um, but we'll get back to Super Punch on the next episode and then get back to RPGs and stuff later. Um, in the meantime, uh, we should probably wrap really quickly with a couple things that are happening on the Gunna Geek Network right now. Do you have the thing up? Take it away. Uh, I do. So let's talk about better podcasting. Well, it's, by it's the, the name way, we're of the show. Yeah, we're the we're members of a, a in a network uh, called the Good and Geek Network. It's got a bunch of different shows on there that span the gamut of geeky topics. Um, this one, one of the podcasts is called Better Podcasting. In episode one thirty four, podcasting without a computer promo has ever been in a situation that you wished you could podcast without a traditional computer you know desktops laptops in this week's episode steven and sp run down a variety of different ways you could podcast and ways they have podcasted in these situations uh check out this and more in this week's better podcasting um and then in the official gonna geek show it's gonna geek show uh, show number 242 gonna bend iphones the gfq network's suncast guests on this week's episode of the official gunageek.com show to discuss a whole bunch of geek news including voice assistants coming to xbox microsoft buying github more success with virgin galactic and there's even an update to apple's bendgate years later check out all this and more in the uh, in this week's official gunageek.com show it's a very funny episode they talk about touching things I won't get into it. And on Game Life Balance Australia this week, they're, they've got episode 60, 
The Crime of Milk Baggery. They are our sister show, Game of Balance Australia. They wrote something in the promo sheet, and I'm not going to read it because I'm going to tell you from memory what happens. AC spends about an uh, at least a half hour raging over the fact that Canadians get their milk in bags. And it's you would think that the Fourth World War has started. It's the greatest thing ever. And then uh, that's honestly all I remember. Uh, that's all I remember from the episode. Who, is knew, they talk a lot. who knew that Australia and Canada were pitted against each other in this uh, duel to the death over the way to store and buy milk? But you know what's fun about it is I, I don't feel like a lot of people can do that with the U.S. because there are so many Americans who just get so angry at anything you say. Like, oh, yeah, over in America, oh, what? You guys are kind of fat, right? What you talking about? Yeah, boy, I got my God. America's the greatest country, blah, blah, blah. You know, like it's, it's almost know. like there was an American here in the room just now. My gosh, like was that the, you? I don't think that Amer- many – there are many Americans who cannot take themselves lightly. Like they, they have to take everything very seriously, especially America. And like – well, Game Life Balance U.S., but the, the U.S. is almost ironic <laughs> in terms of how patriotic I actually am. Um, but like with Canada, it's like, yeah, you can make you, – you can make fun of us for like whatever. It's fine. In Australia, you know, you can make fun of us for whatever. It's fine because they, you know, they just laugh and then they make fun of New Zealand and it's all fun and games. But, you know, that's what we get for being, you know, isolationist warmongers. Also, I've decided I'm going to stop impersonating the Australians and doing the generic, like, because first of all, like, I'm bad at it. Second oh, of all, I always I, thought I always thought that an Australian was right here in the room with us every time you did it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I always say the generic things like shrimp on the Barbie and stuff. Like, it's it's so pedestrian. You know, it's like like being like, oh, I'm from Canada, eh? Like, okay, very, wow, very original. Are you saying you're going to up your game? Or you're going to like, wait, are you taking a break and then you're going to come back with a new and improved Australian accent? Is that what you're telling me? That'd be great. But what I, I think what I came to this revelation, the only reason I did that in the first place was because I know the hosts of Game Life Balance Australia listen. And I think that I was subtly trying to get them to impersonate Americans back because my favorite thing on Game Life Balance Australia is when they impersonate Americans. I love when they impersonate Americans. Rob did a bit like 12 episodes ago, and I lost my mind. It was the best. So I'm just going to not do this passive-aggressive thing. I'm just going to say, Rob and AC, please, for the love, impersonate Americans because it's great. Thank you for listening to the Game Life Balance US podcast, the American edition of the Game Life Balance podcast. If you had fun, then please tell one friend about our podcast. One. No more. We don't need that kind of publicity. And that's all we ask. You can learn more about Game Life Balance, including our sister show in Australia at GameLifeBalance.us or check out Game Life Balance and lots of other geeky shows on the Gunna Geek Network at GunnaGeek.com. You were recording this whole time, right? Yeah, no, I was recording. I, oh, man, it's six hours and 35 minutes. That's, that is a long time. Yeah.